0: You are listening to the Religica Theo Lab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. Reverend Dr. Rachel Mash is the environmental coordinator of the Anglican Church of Southern Africa. She works with the Green Anglicans Youth Movement, which is taking off in Africa. She is also the secretary to the Anglican Communion Environmental Network and sits on the steering group of the Season of Creation group.
1: My name is Reverend Rachel Mash. I'm the coordinator for the Anglican Church of Southern Africa, which is South Africa, Swaziland, Lesotho, maybe Namibia, Angola, and Mozambique. And so I work for the Anglican Communion Network of Environment, which is informally known as Green Anglicans, which is a movement of Anglicans who are taking seriously the call to care for creation.
2: Could you say a word about the call to care for creation, for those who are listening? Is that an international call? Or is it a...
1: Yes, the Anglican Communion, which is the Anglican and Episcopal Church around the world, they incorporate what we call the fifth mark of mission, which is to sustain the integrity of creation. So that's considered to be one of the core core business of the church that we are called to, as a part of our mission, is to care for the integrity of creation. One of the things that I've been very much involved in is in terms of the season of creation. A season of creation is a month long period. What we find in the church is like we have times during the year, the church year, when we think about Jesus, like Christmas and Easter, when we think about the Holy Spirit, like Pentecost. But when do we actually think about God, the Creator? So the season of creation was started, first of all, by the Orthodox Church in 1989, and it's been a movement that's grown through the different churches. The Anglican Consultative Council adopted it about 10 years ago, and I sit on an international Group which incorporates the Anglican Communion Environmental Network, the Global Catholic Climate Movement, and Christian Aid, World Council of Churches, the Lutheran World Federation has just come aboard, and other organisations. And we're promoting the Season of Creation because we feel like churches sometimes have had you know a one-off service for Earth Day or a one-off service for World Water Week, but we feel like if you have a whole month, in fact five weeks to delve down into the scriptures and to say, what what is the Bible telling us about land? What does the Bible tell us about water? What does the Bible tell us about the importance of trees? One of the problems I think typically has been with churches and the environment as it has been seen as something for the tree huggers. Right. So you would have a few people on the edge who were the green team or the environmentalists or the, and they would be the ones who would put in the recycling bins and then everybody else would feel guilty. And so what we believe is that your starting point has to be your spirituality. You have to say, what is our creator God calling us to do? What do the scriptures tell us about it? The interesting thing is, in the Christian faith, we all know that we have to serve God and we know that we have to love our neighbor. We don't all love the neighbor in the same way. Some people may have a concern for the elderly. Some have a concern for the homeless. Some people may have a concern for the refugee, but we all know that we are called to love our neighbor. But Caring for God's creation is somehow seen to be an optional extra, and I don't believe that that should be like that, that we all Christians are called to love God, love our neighbor, and care for God's creation. Because the very first commandment that we were given as the human race was to till the earth and look after it in Genesis 2.15. And somehow we have jumped to the Moses time, which was generations later. We say the Ten Commandments, but the first commandment that we were given was to care for this earth, to work the land and to look after it.
2: You're from South Africa, and we've been hearing internationally about what's been a seemingly recent from the international perspective about the water crisis Mm. in South Africa. Mm. That's a very concrete expression of
0: Mm.
2: real need. Mm. What's your sense of the connection between What's happening in the environment and spiritual apathy even in your own mm. setting coming from South
1: Africa. okay it's been a very interesting situation because cape town traditionally we had very wet winters so we're not a city that's ever worried about water we don't have water tanks is it, we have wet winters and three years ago we started the drought and it's been the worst drought for a 100 years So at the beginning of the year, the city told us that we were going to face day zero on the 22nd of April. All the taps, all the taps in all the homes in Cape Town were going to be turned off on the 22nd, 22nd of April. Okay. So this year. year. So this means three million people are going to be queuing for water. It was really scary because it meant the schools would have to shut down. There's no toilet facilities. Businesses would close. We would lose our tourism with all the jobs involved with that. And also they said that probably they would have to get the police and the army involved because there was a threat of violence as people were queuing for water. So it was a very serious situation. And I think Cape Town is the canary in the mine. Because Cape Town is not alone. There are, of course, smaller towns which have run out of water, but Cape Town is quite iconic. It's well known. We hosted the 2010 Football Cup and, and it, there's a lot of tourism and people have conferences, so it's quite well known. There are more than 10 major cities that are under threat of their water being shut down, such as Sao Paulo,
2: Jakarta.
1: So it is the area in the mine.
2: When you have political contexts that may feel even more chaotic and mm. there's localized upheaval in the nation states that religions have a way of reminding us of our connection Mm. to water in non-abstract ways, as you were talking about single-use plastic. What do you think is the kind of gift, you're already naming some of it, but just explicitly as well, that Christians have to bring, Anglicans, Lutherans, Methodists, and others, have to bring to the story of what religion needs to say about our responsibility to the planet?
1: I think it's all there in the Bible. I think what what the problem has been is we say we have individualized scripture. So for instance, if we go back to one of the most popular texts, which probably most people was the first scripture that they learned in Sunday school, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Now, many of us, you know, when you became confirmed or became a member of church, they would say, now put your own name in there. God so loved Rachel that he sent his only begotten son, which is nice. But it's not the whole truth, because if you go back to the original word in Greek, it is cosmos. Now, if we say God so loved the cosmos that he sent his only begotten son, it gives you a very different understanding of what Jesus actually came to do and why he died on the cross. He came to save the cosmos. And yes, so that human beings can have abundant life within that cosmos. But our abundant life comes from being part of the web of life and part of that cosmos. So it's not like God just cares about human beings and doesn't care about the rest of the web of life. He cares about the whole web of life and we as part of it. And I think another scripture where we have tended to go a little bit off the track, there's a verse that says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the old will pass away. So people say, oh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So it doesn't matter if this world burns up. And I've even heard people say that, well, climate change is the end of the time. The earth is burning up, but we're going to have a new heaven. God, Jesus is going to come and give us a new earth. And again, if we go back to the original text, which is Greek, in Greek, there are two words for new. So there's kainos and there's neos. Now, neos is brand new. So imagine I'm in a bad accident. I smash up my car. So I go to the insurance company, I get a brand new car. That is a Neos car, shiny, brand new. The old one's junked, I've chucked it out. And then there's Kainos, which is my car's old and rusty. I go to the panel beater, it gets all shined up again, new hubcaps, new sound system. This is my Kainos, renewed car. And that is the word in the Bible for new earth. Ah. It's not a brand new one. We, we have no planet B. Yeah. We've got this one and we are called to renew it and to work with God to renew this earth so that we can have abundant life for
2: all. Absolutely. You mentioned working with the Lutheran World Federation, the World Council of Churches, other religiously the, related organizations. Yeah,
1: global, we, Catholic, uh, global, global Catholic climate movement, yeah.
2: The mm. global Catholic climate movement as well. Those who are in local communities who say, I want to be able to make a difference in my family, in my local community, it could be saying I will no longer use single-use plastic." What do you say to those local communities when you encourage them to take seriously this moment and that every little bit there, Mm -hmm. if we're all doing that in the world, does make a difference significantly? Mm -hmm. How do you inspire others?
1: Transformational change doesn't take place when individuals do something. Transformational change takes place when networked individuals do something. So you may, as an individual, you may be making your small actions, planting a few trees or reducing your plastic and you kind of feel like, what is the point? But if you're networked with others, then you are aware that there's this movement of changing behavior. And we as consumers have a huge amount of power. I mean, if you look at the changes that are taking place now in terms of single-use plastic, European Union putting a ban on it, other countries banning it. We as the consumers have the possibility to ban. We in, in South Africa, we are aiming for a banning of the single-use plastic bag. So we need to set ourselves doable targets. And what we can do is we can target a shop. So you can get people from the local community to target that shop and say, we don't want straws in the shop. We don't want straws in the little community where, where I, I live. We are going to get plastic straws banned, and then we're going to get plastic bags banned, and then we're going to get single-use plastic banned. So it's like set yourself goals and network with other like-minded people so that we can actually cut these things off at source. And if you do it from a love for the earth, that's the thing I think. Often this issue of recycling, sometimes people have done it from guilt because you're the one that's nagging me, Mm -hmm. but it has to come from a love for creation or a love for God's ocean. I think it's very interesting that this response to single-use plastic, a lot of it has has been spurred on by Attenborough's Blue Planet because people saw the wonder and the beauty of the oceans. And there were even creatures that we didn't know existed at the bottom of the ocean at the same time as we realized that by 2050, there's going to be more plastic in the oceans than fish.
2: Do you feel we have to name adequately enough what's actually happening? For instance, in the Pacific, we call this a garbage patch, mm. which you conjures up images, I think, somewhat more quaint of what a patch is. But mm-hmm. It's massive. It's the size of Texas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, it's significantly not the thing we name it. It's actually, ai don't know, it's a reservoir of trash that's floating on the water in mm-hmm. very small bits that are also very difficult to to, catch, to gather yeah. up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder, to your point about transformation, that a technical change is not enough. There has to be a kind of deeper transformation mm-hmm. in our humanity. Mm-hmm. This sense of networking is so important and possible in local communities, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. I can reach
2: out to my faith community. or my mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see examples where that's successful in the world?
1: Well, for instance, I mean, this is the networking, but there's the wonderful story of a little girl who's five years old called Ava, and she's in in England, and she was so distressed because she saw there's that picture that's been going viral about the sea turtle that had a straw up its nose. You've probably seen it. So she wrote a little letter to her local pizza hut, and she says, I like coming to eat here, but please stop using plastic straws because they're hurting the creatures, and they actually have shifted to paper straws. So that's the power of the consumer. And the reason that that happened was because then it went viral. And so her little letter then went viral and went out on social media and things like that. So with social media, we can really make a big difference.
2: What do you think in 20 years, you know, as a person of faith, as a professional, you look ahead 20 years or 30 years and think about what will the state of the conversation be then on your best day? When you say, I think we can achieve this together. Mm -hmm. What do you see? Mm
1: -hmm. The Cape Town story has given me a lot of hope. I know that was water. And I know... People panicked because we were told on a certain date, my tap is going to be turned off. Very specific. But it showed that behavior change is totally possible. So we can do the same in terms of our carbon emissions. The important thing is how do we get people that sense of urgency? Yeah. And I think that's where the faith communities are really important because the faith communities say that my sister or my brother is part of my family, then I'm called. So if climate change is affecting somebody in South Sudan, if you don't have any faith, you're going to be like, well, shame, poor South Sudan. But if you're a person of faith, you will say that is part of my faith journey is to care for the people in South Sudan. Yeah. And especially if maybe they're of your same faith community, you know, there's, if, the, if you're a Methodist and there's somebody in Kenya who's impacted, maybe you'll be like, okay, I need to do something for my faith community who's impacted by climate change. So there are those natural links. You feel like you're part of a faith family. So we are not one nation. We, there's no need to make one nation great at, yeah, the, right. at the expense of other nations. We are a world community. We have one common home. And what affects somebody on the other side of the globe
2: affects me. How is it that what's happening to us environmentally cuts across political lines? Yeah.
1: I think what's happening to us is change of water, um, drought in some areas, flooding in some areas, sea level rise. It is impacting on the poorest of the poor. Now, people of faith and Christians in those affected areas are standing up and making a difference. Um, Christians across Southern Africa are are standing up and making a difference and saying, we have to combat climate change. We have to adapt Um, because the rains are not coming when they said they would. In certain languages, there is a month, which is the month of the rain which means it's always been that month. And now they're actually having to change those terms because the children in school are saying, why do we call that the rain month and the rain doesn't come? So the climate has definitely changed. We were talking to a a gentleman from the Church of South India. They had huge floods recently in Kerala. And he's saying that one of the things that they're doing now with their Sunday schools, they've never had to do this before. But one of the things that the Sunday schools is having to do now is to teach the children to swim. So the church in the South is responding to climate change. For us, it's not a political issue. For us, it is our context. And our plea for our brothers and sisters in America is to say, it's fantastic the role of the church through the years in terms of mission and in terms of support and in terms of relief. We really appreciate the role of the church in terms of the support that you have given to Africa. But there is no point in sending a check to an orphanage in Kenya if that very same orphanage is going to be impacted by climate change and be no longer able to grow their vegetables because there will be no rain. So we would ask you as a Christian community to do what you can to help your brothers and sisters by changing the way that energy is produced to move from fossil fuels to renewable energy so that we can support brothers and sisters across the world who are being impacted because it is a faith issue. It is not a party political issue. And parties will respond to the issue in different ways. Republicans may respond to climate change in one way and Democrats will respond in another way, and that's fine. But as Christians, hear the cry of your brothers and sisters across the world. We are doing what we can But we need you to stand in solidarity with us and to combat this scourge together.
0: You've been listening to the Religica Theolab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. To learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities, visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center.